السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أكن سمو جسكم يسان جتكيز ليك شو بيرغون كهيمي جزاكم الله خير بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك لعبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد So welcome to another lesson of Quranic progression and we are uh, still on the tafsir of Suratul Layl. This is our third lesson uh, of Suratul Layl and last week we concluded with the fifth verse of Suratul Layl. And the fifth verse as we said last week is connected to um, the verses that come after it 5, 6, 7 and then even 8, 9, 10. Those six verses are essentially speaking about uh, something very similar in terms of its topic and there is a close relationship between them. So uh, but before we go on to that, uh, one of the questions that I was asked last week uh, was concerning the beginning, the first two verses of Surah Tulayl. Someone asked the question, uh, and I forgot who asked, but someone asked the question concerning why in verse number one uh, we have the present tense, and in verse number two we have the past tense. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى That is the, uh, the, the present tense. And then in verse number two, وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى And that is the past tense. So why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala change the tense? So when he's describing the night, Allah azawajal uses the present tense. When he's describing the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the past tense. And so Allah azawajal says, by the night as it envelops, so by the enshrouding night. And that is in the present tense. And then in the past tense in verse number two, and by the day when it unveils itself or by the radiant day. But the, the word tajalla uh, is the past tense verb. Uh, and I didn't um, answer this question I think last week. I had come across something but I wanted to double check because I, I remember reading something in, in one of the tafsirs that, that specify or that specialize in, in the Arabic language but I wasn't sure uh, that I'd read correctly or so I wanted to go and double check. But one of the and there's possibly a number of explanations for this, but one of the ones that I came across in some of those linguistic tafasir is that the present tense in the Arabic language has, from its meanings, something which, uh, which, which is continuous. So in the Arabic language, the present tense in a verb is sometimes used to describe something which is in a, which is in a, a continuous form. And that's why, for example, the present tense and the future tense in the Arabic language usually use the same type of verb. So the Arabic doesn't necessarily have a future tense. Like in English, we have a past, present, and future tense. In Arabic, you have past and then present stroke future, which are more or less the same. And the reason why this, they are the same is because the present tense is often used for something which is continuous and something, therefore, that goes into the future. And so what some of the scholars said, and Allah knows best, is that the difference between the day and the night is that when the, the night comes in, which is where Surah al begins with, when the night comes in at sunset, darkness takes time to spread. So as soon as you have sunset, as the time of Maghrib comes in, yes, it is Maghrib and the sun has set, but it's still very light. And in order for complete darkness to come, you're essentially looking towards like maybe an hour 
uh, or at least half an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, maybe even longer in the summer in the summer nights. You're looking at a, a period of time because the night as it comes, comes gradually. Whereas the morning when it comes, as soon as the sun rises, you see light everywhere. And yes, then the sun goes higher and higher and, and the sun gets stronger. But in terms of lighting everything, it is more or less immediate unless obviously there is cloud or something else. But that's a different issue. Whereas with the night, it is something which is a more gradual process as opposed to the morning. And so that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the present tense for one and the past tense for other. And Allah azza wa knows best. I didn't find uh, that particular explanation in many of the uh, major works of tafsir like Al-Tabari and Al-Qurtubi and others don't necessarily mention uh, this but I found in some of the linguistic tafsir and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best but that's something which I which I found so last week we, we concluded with the tafsir of verse number 5 and verse number 5 as we said when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and as for the one who spends or who gives and has fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we mentioned a number of uh, stories concerning this and we said, for example, we have the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Ali radiyallahu an, which is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he goes into Baqi' uh, and, and he says that there's not a single person except that Allah Azza wa has already written their place for them in the fire if they are from the people of the fire in Jannah, if they are from the people of the Jannah. And then they said, O Messenger of Allah, so therefore why should we act, right? Why should we perform actions? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, perform actions for indeed every person, it will be made easy for them that which is written for them, right? It will be made easy for them that which is written for them. And then last week we spoke about this in terms of how to understand these types of texts from the Quran and the Sunnah and how they have to be taken in a certain context and understood in that context. And that's something which is very important. So if you missed that lesson, that's something which you missed from last week, I would strongly urge you and encourage you to go back rather than me repeating something uh, again. But I think that that, 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 that uh, portion of the, of the lesson from last week, that particular point concerning this hadith and other similar hadith is very important for you to go back to and to listen to and to understand. Uh, but that is the, essentially what we have in terms of that first, uh, that, that particular hadith. Right? And from there you find you know, a number of the statements of the Salaf and the scholars rahmatullah, from the meanings of the hadith is that each person has, for example, even in terms of worship, Right? There are people who are, it is easier for them. And this is not about making excuses. If it's something which is used to make an excuse in terms of uh, leaving off something which is wajib, an obligation, leaving off something which Allah has ordained in terms of rights that people have on you and so on, and all that from the rights that Allah himself has upon us, then that's a problem. But in terms of using that principle in, in something which is therefore extra or nawafil, for example, someone says that I prefer to seek knowledge, right? That's my thing, and that's what I prefer to do, and that's what I want to go towards in terms of my extra acts of worship. So I'm doing the wajibat, and I'm going to fulfill the rights that Allah has made obligatory upon me. But now, in order to do more actions of good, and even though the believers should have their foot, if you like, in in more or less everything, right? There should be people who give some sadaqah and people who do some extra fasting and people who pray some extra nawafil and, and so on and so forth. But maybe there's one thing which you're more inclined towards than other things. Right? And for someone else, maybe it's charity. And for someone else, maybe it's ibadah. And for someone else, it's maybe helping others and cooking for them and, 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 and helping their families and their neighbors and their, their elders in the community and so on. Each person may be inclined to one thing over another. And that's okay because we know that the Prophet ﷺ had companions and many of them were of different types. Right? There were some who from amongst them were warriors and they were courageous people, soldiers, people who excelled in battle. 
Others from amongst them excelled in knowledge. Others from amongst them excelled in charity and giving. Others from amongst them excelled in worship and ibadah. Each one of them has that thing which they're doing. And so the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to uh, belittle this or berate this in any way or form because each person has something which Allah has made easy for them. And from that is the statement that is attributed to Imam Malik Taala, when some of his contemporaries from the scholars said to him that you spend too much time teaching because this is what Imam Malik would do. Every day he would go to the masjid of the Prophet and he would teach hadith and he would narrate hadith and he would teach people their religion. And they would say to him, maybe you should spend some more time in ibadah. Maybe pray some more nawafil or spend more time in, in, in ibadah as opposed to teaching knowledge. And Imam Malik ta'ala, it is said that he said in response to this, what the Prophet said in this hadith, Allah has made easy for every person that which he was or they were created for. And again, those statements have to be understood in that correct context. Imam Malik isn't saying that therefore if you don't think that you're up for any worship or you don't, you don't think you can wake up for Fajr or you're not a person who likes to pray or you're not a person who wants to wear hijab or you're not a person who wants to do X, Y and Z, therefore you can leave it and ignore it because that's how Allah created it. Right? These, context, these, uh, these hadith, these narrations, these statements have to be understood in their proper context. But once you've understood that proper context, then yes, it has a true meaning in the sense that certain people are more inclined towards one thing as opposed to another. We also mentioned last week, therefore, the two uh, stories that are often attributed concerning these, uh, this group of verses. The two stories that are mentioned in terms of the causes of revelation, the first of them being that it's referring to Abu Bakr radiallahu an, uh, primarily by way of example, and that is because Abu Bakr radiallahu an, as we know, bought a number of the companions, the early Muslims, the Meccans, in the time of the early days of Mecca, he bought a number of the of the slaves uh, of, of Mecca, and he freed them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so it is said that these verses, as well as the last few verses of the surah, the last two or three verses of Surah Al-Layn, they refer to Abu Bakr radiallahu And we will speak about this in more detail, inshallah ta'ala, uh, concerning those details uh, when we come to those final verses towards the end of this surah. But Abu Bakr radiallahu in, in that particular narration that we mentioned last week, we mentioned the narration of Bilal radiallahu and how it is said that when he used to, he bought Bilal and he bought other than Bilal, he bought, it is said, seven or eight from amongst the early Muslims who were slaves, men and women, and he freed them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Abu Quhafa, who is the father of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhumah, later on he becomes a Muslim as well, he would say to his son, why are you buying slaves who cannot benefit you, cannot help you, they're too weak, they're women, they're children, whatever they are, why don't you, if you are going to buy and free, buy and free slaves that are strong, that can help you, that can defend you, that can come to your aid. And Abu Bakr radiallahu used to say in reply, because I'm not buying them for that reason, I'm buying them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and freeing them to please Allah azza wa jal. That's the one story. The other story, as we mentioned also at the beginning of our tafsir of this surah, is that it's referring to the companion of the Ansar, Abu Dahdah radiallahu And that story is a story that is mentioned in Sahih Muslim of him buying uh, his one tree because it is something which a poor person needs and in, in its place, giving his garden up his farm of trees for that one tree in exchange for a tree in Jannah. And we said that that story of Abu Dahdah, even though it is mentioned here by a number of the scholars of Tafsir, it has a number of narrations in the books of Hadith and the books of Tafsir. The most authentic of them is the one that is mentioned in Sahih Muslim, which doesn't mention in its in its narration the verses of Surah Al-Layl. And the ones that do mention the verses of Surah Al-Layl, it is a similar story, but Abu Dahdah is not mentioned by name. 
and as we said and we mentioned the statement of Ibn Kathir and others that those are uh, those are narrations that are that are more strange and Allah Azza wa knows best so that's where we kind of got up to last week and that is the statement of Allah Azza wa فَأَمَّا now when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says as for the one who gives and has piety fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is conscious of Allah Azza wa that is the first part of the description because now there will be a second part of the description and that second part of the description is what is mentioned in verse 6 and that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى and they testify or who testifies to goodness and I just want you to look at some of the different translations that we have for husna. Uh, Mufti Taqi said and believes in the best religion. Uh, Muhsin Khan just said believes in Al-Husna. Uh, Abdul Halim, Prof- Professor Abdul Halim who testifies to goodness and Sahih International and believes in the best reward. And that is because the scholars differed as to the meaning of the word Husna and what it is that it's referring to. Uh, and there are a number of statements regarding this from Ata and Qatada and Mujahid and Ibn Abbas عنهما, and a number of the companions in the Tabi'in as to what is being referred to in terms of Al-Husna what does it refer to? what is this thing that this person testifies to? Saddaqa in the Arabic language means to attest to something to attest to the truthfulness of something right? and from it comes the word Siddiq right? and it's a common mistake don't be confused by two very similar sounding words and, 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 and the spelling of two words the first is Sadiq and the second is Siddiq. Right? I have heard people saying Abu Bakr al-Sadiq. Right? Abu Bakr radiallahu an, the word Sadiq means a friend. Right? It is someone who is a friend of yours. Right? In the Arabic language, Sadaqa is friendship. Siddiq comes from the word Sidq. Right? And, and there obviously there is an overlapping meaning and there is a, a correlation in meaning and, 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 and the two words are similar in terms of their root word. But the difference being, Sadiq is someone who is your friend. Siddiq is someone who attests to your truthfulness. And that is why Abu Bakr is called Siddiq. So when Allah says, وَصَدَّقَ This person attests to the truthfulness of what? Of Al-Husna. What is Al-Husna referring to? As I said, there's a number of statements from amongst the scholars of Tafsir. I think the best uh, person who summarized those statements is Al-Imam Al-Tabari تعالى, in his Tafsir. He said, and he gave four meanings for it amongst the early scholars of tafsir four meanings for the word al-husna he said the first of them is that some of them said that they attest to the truthfulness of the promise of allah that whosoever spends for the sake of allah allah will always give them more in return so when you give something for the sake of allah allah will give you something in return and from that is a hadith that we know the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam la yanqusul malu min as-sadaqa that that uh, wealth has never uh, uh, wealth has never become depleted because of charity right? that's that famous hadith that, that you often hear when, when people are, are asking for sadaqah and charity and their fundraising it's a common hadith that people give that you, your money never becomes deficient because of giving sadaqah Al-Imam Al-Tabari ta'ala said that this is the statement that is mentioned by Ibn Abbas uh, عنهما, and Ikrimah and, and Mujahid rahmatullah. this is their statement that it's referring to this person the one who attests to the truthfulness of Al-Husna. What is Al-Husna? That what Allah Azza wa has given to you as a promise of goodness, right? What is that goodness? That goodness is that whatever you spend for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will give you something better in return. And those scholars who took that meaning from Al-Husna are essentially relating verse 6 back to verse 5 because what does Allah say in verse 5, Azza wa Jal? فَأَمَّا مَنَعْطَى 
as for the one who gives with piety. So they say therefore that Al-Husna is referring to that, to that type of giving. And what do they believe in? The promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you will always have more in return. The second meaning that you find, and this is also mentioned as being the statements of some of the scholars such as, and it's attributed also to Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, but it's the statement of Al-Dahaq rahimahullah ta'ala, and that is that they testify to the truthfulness of the fact that you should only worship Allah alone. Tawheed. That you are testifying to the truthfulness of Tawheed that Allah Azza wa Jal alone is worthy of worship. And from them and from uh, and from the scholars who also mentioned this was Ata Rahimahullah Ta'ala. That's also his statement that it's referring to this. The third statement that you have, and this is also attributed to Mujahid. So Mujahid, all of these three statements that we mentioned before, Tawheed, that you're giving something better in return for that from that which you spend, and number three, that's referring to Jannah paradise, all of these are attributed to Mujahid Rahimahullah Ta'ala. So that third one being that they testify to the truthfulness of the reward of Jannah. And the fourth one is the statement of Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, and that is that they attest to the truthfulness of the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now clearly all four of these, as you can see, are very similar in meaning. They are very similar in meaning. Uh, even though the scholars will choose one or the other, they are interrelated because to believe in Allah's promise and to believe in Jannah or to, to testify to the truthfulness of Jannah, or to testify to the truthfulness of Tawheed, or the, the uh, or a portion of that Tawheed, because from that Tawheed and from its uh, from its uh, if you like from its minutiae, from its details, is that you believe in the promise of Allah Azza wa Jalla that you will get more in return for that which you spend. All of these are very similar. But Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah Taala, the one he chose out of all of them was the first one. And again, as I said, it seems to be because those scholars. He says, actually, he says, He said, and the strongest of these opinions is that which the verses themselves seem to point towards. What does he mean by that? He means, because in verse number 5, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It's about spending. So therefore, when Allah says that someone attests to the truthfulness of something, he relates it back to that same thing. But the teacher of our teachers, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he chose the position that it's referring to Jannah and the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why I thought it was interesting to see uh, in the translations who chose what. Right? And so Mufti Taqi chose Tawheed because he says it's the best religion. Uh, Al-Husna, Abdul Halim chose like goodness and reward. Uh, that seems to be Sahih International chose reward. So you find like that there are differences in this in terms of choosing which particular translation goes. But anyway, the point being here that uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, and that which seems to be the strongest of these choices is that it's referring to Jannah, that it's referring to paradise. He says, why? He says, because of the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla in Surah Yunus, لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا الْحُسْنَ وَزِيَادَةِ For those who do good, we promise them al-husna wa And it's mentioned from a number of the companions radiyallahu anhum ajma'een, in the famous books of hadith and tafsir that they made a tafsir of this verse and they said that al-husna in this verse refers to jannah and the ziyadah which is the extra what you get more on top is to be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in jannah and so Allah Azza says for those who do good they will have goodness meaning jannah and they will have more than that and that is seeing Allah Azza on the day of judgment so Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala says that because that is the tafsir of the companions for that verse that word al-husna being used here means that it's referring to the same thing and therefore it's referring to Jannah. And obviously as you can see, that statement also has its strength and it has its, uh, you know, if, if you like, its its uh, position 
because of it having something which which the scholars mention in terms of a similar word in Surah Yunus. Allah Azza wa Jal then in verse number 7 he says, فَسَنُ يَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى So whosoever spends for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal and they have taqwa, piety of Allah Azza wa Jal, fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they attest to the truthfulness of the tawheed of Allah and the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the reward of Allah Azza wa Jal, فَسَنُ يَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى we shall smooth his way towards ease. That is the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Or Muhsin Khan, we will make smooth for him the path of ease and goodness. Mufti Taqi will facilitate for him the way to extreme ease. And in Sahih International, we will ease him towards ease. Right? We will ease him towards ease. We shall make easy for him the path of ease. Right? This is a general concept in the Quran. And that is that if a person does good, they fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they live their life in accordance to Allah azza wa jal's laws, they, they do the halal and they stay away from the haram, they fulfill their wajibat, their obligations, and they stay away from the prohibitions that Allah azza wa jal has placed upon us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make easy for them, their life smooth for them. In the sense that that doesn't mean that they don't have trials, doesn't mean that they don't have hardships. And this is also something which we have to understand in these verses because when Allah mentions verses similar to this, often what people think therefore is that if I'm doing good, I should have a very easy smooth life. I should have money and I should have wealth and I should have ease. And if I don't have that, then clearly I'm doing something wrong. That's not the meaning of these verses because if anyone was to have that ease facilitated for them, they were. And if anyone was to fulfill that criteria of taqwa and spending in the way of Allah and attesting to the truthfulness of Allah Azza wa and His promises and rewards and so on, it would have been the Prophet especially our own Prophet But what we see collectively from all of the lives of those Prophets is that their lives were full of hardship and difficulty and trials and tests and so many different things that they had to go through. And so that's not the meaning. The meaning is, yes, that you will have in your life ease. But what is the ease that is being referred to? The ease that is being referred to is the ease of always being guided to what is pleasing to Allah Azzawajal. And something, sometimes what is pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is not necessarily what is pleasing to you or to your desires. It's not necessarily what people consider to be ease. So when the Prophet goes through test after test and hardship after hardship and difficulty after difficulty, in each one of those situations, he is guided to the path that is most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now sometimes that path may be a difficult path, a path of hardship, but ultimately it is something which brings him closer to Allah azza wa jal. And so if a person, for example, uh, is, is, is believing in Allah azza wa jal and worshipping Allah azza wa jal and having piety of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they may go through hardship. They may lose loved ones. They may become poor. They may have health issues and difficulties. They may have so many things happening around them. But in each one of them, Allah Azza wa will guide them to a good outcome in terms of reward, in terms of patience, in terms of being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in terms of finding the path that brings them closer to Allah Azza wa And that is how we understand these verses and these ahadith that speak about ease. Ease in the sense that you will have contentment in your heart. Even though your situation outwardly may look difficult for the person who sees from afar or for the person who looks at your situation, they may think that it's a difficult situation, a hard situation. But when you come to that person, you will find that they are pleased with what Allah has decreed. That their heart is a heart of contentment. Their heart is a heart of inner peace. They're not someone 
who is complaining and arguing and lamenting the, the decree of Allah Azza wa Jal, they're not a person who's constantly questioning why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did this to me, why did Allah do this to me, why if Allah loves me is he doing this? and because they understand the concept. And that is why in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the famous hadith that Allah Azza wa Jal said that sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for a person a certain level in Jannah. They will not reach that level of Jannah by virtue of their own deeds. So Allah Azza wa Jal tests them and places upon them hardships that through their patience they will reach that level in Jannah. And that's an amazing hadith because you see this in the lives of the Prophet ﷺ. Look at more or less any of the prophets of Allah Azza wa Jal from Musa alayhi salam to Isa alayhi salam to Nuh alayhi salam to the prophet Yusuf alayhi salam all of the prophets Ayyub and Ya'qub and all of those prophets that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions their stories and relates to us their stories in the Quran hardship after hardship difficulty after difficulty and even after the prophets look at the lives of the companions radiyallahu anhu majma'in the lives of the famous imams and scholars of Islam how many of them went through so many different types of difficulties and hardships so does that mean that therefore they're not people of taqwa? They're not people of spending? They're not people who are tested to the truthfulness of Allah? Of course not. But Allah says that He will give them a path towards ease. So what is that ease that Allah is referring to then? It is the ease of contentment. right? It is the ease of doing good even in that situation. It's the ease of being able to follow one good deed after another good deed. And if you sin or you, you, you do something which is evil or you disobey Allah that you're guided to the path of tawbah and repentance and seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is how Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to this. And that's why you find the person who even though they may be going through a difficult time and a difficult existence and a difficult life, they have contentment in their hearts. And all you need to do in order to see this is, the, is to read the biographies of the companions who for many of them, they were poor and many of them were hard up and many of them found it very difficult in terms of financially uh, having you know the means to live comfortably and so on and our own Prophet was not too dissimilar in some of those regards and aspects as well but what you find collectively when you read about their lives read the books of hadith and you see the contentment that they have you see the happiness that they have they don't need anything else so long as they have Allah and his Prophet and that is the ease that Allah is referring to because the ultimate ease is the ease of the Jannah so if something in this life is bringing you closer to that ultimate ease because you're going on upon the path of good, you're being guided towards something which is pleasing to Allah Azza wa you're building for your akhirah and you're accumulating the good deeds and inshallah the reward to get you that, that, that final reward of Jannah in the akhirah, then you are being facilitated upon the path of ease. Right? And this is very similar to other hadith that you will find and other narrations that you find that sometimes are also misunderstood. For example, the hadith that speaks about seeking knowledge. Right? Whosoever Allah wants good for, Allah will, will give them understanding of the religion. Or the hadith, Whosoever treads a path of knowledge, Allah will make easy for them the path that leads to Jannah. Okay, so now you find this scholar and you read his biography from amongst the scholars of the past. Or even in our time, you find a student of knowledge who's trying to learn. And you see that they're probably not doing very well financially. They don't have much money. They can't hold down uh, a good job. They don't, they don't have the qualifications to get good money. And they have a number of issues and difficulties. Or even in their path of seeking knowledge, they have to travel and find it very difficult to live. And so hardship after hardship after hardship. But Allah is saying that he's made easy for them the path of Jannah. Allah is saying that he wants good for them. 
And that's because, as we've said a number of times, I believe last year and the year before, when we were speaking about different surahs and, and different examples of this, of this type, that the standards that Allah has are very different to our standards. And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers good and ease and happiness and contentment isn't necessarily what we would consider to be ease and happiness and comfort in terms of a worldly existence, in terms of a material perspective. Because sometimes we conflate the two and it is important, especially for the Muslim and especially in times like those that we live in, which are times of fitna and times of trials and hardships, where it is sometimes very difficult to remain focused upon what is the ultimate goal, it is sometimes easy to forget what it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and not to mix that up with what other people consider to be uh, you know, hallmarks of success and hallmarks of, of being successful in the dunya and in terms of the dunya. So when Allah says, yusra, Look at the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. He says that we will make easy for him the path towards goodness, meaning that you will always do what Allah is pleased with. And what greater success is there than that? The hallmark of Allah's love for you, the sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with you and loves you, is that He's always guiding you towards good. And even in the most difficult of trials and hardships, Allah guides you to the path that is most pleasing to him. As the Prophet said that the fear of the Muslim is always good, whether in hardship, whether in ease, they're always guided to the path that brings them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what you see in the stories of the Prophet in the Quran. Zaydi bin Aslam said that we will make easy for him the path towards Jannah, right? Which is a very similar uh, thing in meaning. And some of the other scholars of the Salaf used to say that it means that we will make easy for him to perform one good deed after another good deed. And that if there is a bad deed, that we will make him or turn him towards the path of repentance. And that is easing someone towards the path of goodness. That's bringing them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is an important thing to remember when we come to study these types of verses in the Quran, because it is too common, unfortunately, in our time where people read these verses and they read them and they think about them in a very simple context, right? Or they consider them only in a very surface kind of meaning. And they don't really understand because they haven't studied the other texts of the Quran and the other texts of the Sunnah that what it, as to what it speaks to. Actually, you will find in a number of verses that Allah Azza wa lays down this principle that if you're a person who's upon the path of Allah Azza wa you're being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will have ease, right? A, a famous example of this is in the story of Dhul Qarnin in Surah Al Kahf, right? When Allah Azza wa says, when He came to those people and He said, Qulna ya they said, Allah commanded Dhul Qarnain, either you punish these people or you do good towards them. What did he say? As for the one who does wrong and oppresses, we will punish him. And then that person will return to their Lord and he will punish them in an even more serious way. And as for the one who does who believes and does good. So then that person will have a good reward. And we will be easygoing and gentle with that person. Because that's what goodness does. When you're good and you obey Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitates for you the path towards goodness. Meaning the path towards success, meaning the path towards that which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is something which is an important principle to remember. In verse number 8 then, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, and now this is now the opposite, right? This is, as we mentioned before, it is a very common uh, methodology of teaching, a very common practice in the Quran, that you find that Allah azza wa jal juxtaposes two situations or two conditions. You have the people of good and often with them, you have the people of evil that are mentioned. You have reward and alongside it is mentioned punishment. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Then there is the one who is miserly and self-satisfied. So now this is the opposite of the person that is mentioned in verse number 5. There you have the example of the one who is spending for the way of Allah Azza wa Jal, spending in the way of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, has fear of Allah Azza wa Jal, has piety, is conscious and aware of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Now you have the person on the opposite side, as for the one who is miserly and self-satisfied. And these are examples of, of, of two types of people, one who works for the Akhirah and the other one who doesn't care for the Akhirah. One who knows the rights of Allah Azza wa Jalla upon him or her, and the other one who doesn't know and doesn't isn't aware of those rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them. And as for the one who is miserly, self-satisfied, that is that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Uh, Muhsin Khan says, but he who is a greedy miser and thinks himself self-sufficient. And Mufti Taqi says, but the one who is miser and deems himself self-sufficient, and in Sahih International. But as for he who withholds and considers himself free of need, right? Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَأَمَّا said, And as for the one who is miserly, meaning miserly with the right of Allah Azza wa Jal upon them. What is the right of Allah Azza wa Jal upon us in terms of our wealth? That we give the zakah, if we meet the conditions and we have sufficient wealth that makes us from amongst those people that zakah is obligatory upon, it is from the rights that Allah Azza wa Jal has upon you that you give some of that wealth away in zakah to those people that are worthy recipients of that zakah. That's something which is, which is an obligation. And it is better and greater as we know and the Sunnah and the Quran and the Quran and the Sunnah greatly encourage that you spend even more and you spend as much as you can reasonably expect, hoping for the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa often likens as the people of one of the main descriptions that you will often find of the mu'mineen, of the believers, of the pious, the muttaqeen and others that Allah Azza wa praises in the Quran when he gives them these labels. When Allah Azza wa goes on to describe them, one of the common ways, most common ways in which they are described, one of their common characteristics is that they are people of sadaqah, people of spending. Because when you spend for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is one of the greatest signs of taqwa. Because spending in charity is something which doesn't necessarily bring you an immediate reward. doesn't bring you something which is a tangible reward. It's not something which you find something in return in this dunya. But you do it for the sake of Allah azza wa jal and for the reward of the akhirah. So Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said, the one who is stingy with the right of Allah azza wa jal upon them and their wealth was taghna. And they think that they are self-sufficient from their Lord, meaning that they don't need Allah Azza wa That what they have for themselves is sufficient. They don't need anyone else. It is enough for them that which they have. And Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said something very similar. He said in this verse, He said, as for the one that Allah Azza wa made wealthy, and then that person themselves becomes stingy with zakah, right? Becomes stingy with zakah. And in another statement of Ibn Abbas, he gave an example of these verses. So you have verses 5 and 6, the one who gives and the one who has taqwa and the one who attests to the truthfulness 
of Allah Azza's reward and his promise and so on. And then on the other side, you have the one who is miserly and self-sufficient. And we will have the opposite now in verse number 8 when we come onto it, or verse number 9. And they deny, they reject Al-Husna. Whether you say that it's the reward of Allah, or the Tawheed of Allah Azzawajal, or the promises of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, or in this context as we're mentioning, and that's the one as we said that Imam Al-Tabari chose in the context of spending. Because the one who is miserly and self-sufficient, what's their mindset? It's the opposite of what Imam Al-Tabari said and chose as the tafsir of this verse. وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى They attest to the truthfulness of the promise of Allah, that if you give, Allah will give you more in return. In terms of reward, in terms of what you have in the Akhirah, in terms of blessing and barakah for your wealth, you will have more. The one who doesn't spend is miserly. What is their thinking? بِالْحُسْنَى What are they rejecting? They're rejecting that promise of Allah. They don't believe in that promise of Allah. What they believe in is what they can see in front of their eyes. That when they give a hundred pound, that's a hundred pound less in their bank account. When they give a thousand pounds, that's a thousand pounds less in their bank account. When they're giving zakah, that's money that's taken from their savings or from their bottom line or from their bank account or whatever it is that they're giving from. They can see the physical uh, material drop in their wealth. And because that's all that they focus on, they don't think that Allah will give them more in return. So they reject that part, right? That's the next verse that we will come to. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. He gives the example of these two verses in terms of people, right? And this is by by way of example, not that these verses only only uh, only apply to these two individuals, but by way of example, he says the one who spends and does good is Abu Bakr radiallahu an, and the one who rejects and is miserly is Abu Sufyan, right? Abu Sufyan, and clearly this is speaking about the early Meccan period because obviously Abu Sufyan radiallahu an later on becomes a major companion of the Prophet and he dies upon Islam. But we're talking about the early Meccan period where Abu Bakr was spending and he was giving up his wealth in order to buy people and free them for the sake of Allah But then you have the likes of Abu Sufyan and others, Abu Jahl and others in that Meccan period who did the exact opposite. They weren't willing to spend and they weren't willing to give and they weren't willing to, uh, especially for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that's the example that he gives radiallahu uh, ibn Abbas. Imam Al-Qurtubi in his tafsir, he mentions a very nice point because we're speaking now about two concepts. One is the, is the sifa, is the, is the characteristic of the believers, and that is generosity. And the other is what is the characteristic of the disbelievers, and that is to be miserly. But Imam Al-Qurtubi he mentions a very important point here. And he says that, look at how the sharia balances this. He says in Islam, or in the sharia, the one who is generous is the one who spends when spending is good. But if someone wants to spend and spend even a great amount of money at a time or a situation or in a place in which spending is not good, that person isn't considered to be generous, even though they've given a lot of their wealth. So for example, someone who uh, goes becomes extravagant right in a wedding, or becomes extravagant in the way that they spend on, on their property and, and so on and so forth. They go to extremes, they become extravagant, right? They waste. That person, on one hand, you know, it could be said that they're generous because they're spending, right? Generosity is usually spending, spending, spending. But look at how Imam Al-Qurtubi says that no, the Sharia doesn't say it's just about spending. It's about spending in the right time and place. And so if there's a place and a time where it's not good to spend, then that is also a type of generosity. So generosity is spending in the right time and place. Otherwise, to spend at a time and place where it's not 
spending becomes wastefulness and extravagance. As Allah Azzawajal mentions in the Quran that they are the mubadhireen, inna al-mubadhireen kanu ikhwan al-shayateen. Allah says those who are wasteful and extravagant, they are from the brothers of the shayateen, right? From the brothers of the shayateen. Why? Because they spend in a place where it's not good to spend. So the one who withholds is miserly from spending in a place where it's not good, that there's no benefit to be gained from it, that it's something which isn't good, that person isn't therefore considered to be miserly. And I thought that was a very nice point that Imam Al-Qurtubi mentions in the tafsir of these verses. And so it's important to understand, right? Because sometimes people also misunderstand this point as well as to how we understand generosity, how we understand miserliness. There's a time and a place to spend, and that is, usually defined by the sharia in terms of it being pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in terms of it being from you, for you far away from showing off and from other things which may which may cause problems for your sincerity you look at the time and the place and then to spend in that time and place that is correct is considered generosity and to withhold at a time when you should be spending that is considered to be miserliness whereas to withhold at a time where it's not good to spend then that is not considered to be miserliness but actually there's something which the sharia itself uh, sharia itself actually encourages and is something which is good uh, imam al-shawkani he said in the tafsir of these verses this is a person who is miserly with their wealth so they don't spend in any of the paths of goodness they don't spend in anything which is good but rather they make istighna they think that they are self-sufficient they don't need anyone and what they are being self-sufficient in or what they are what they are being miserly from is not just that they're spending not just the issue of spending but he says that they're also being miserly in terms of the reward that is on offer right so a person who doesn't spend doesn't give in the path of allah isn't just being being miserly with the wealth that they're keeping but they're also being miserly in the sense that they don't think that they need the reward of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's why allah says Wastagna. they think they're self-sufficient they don't need allah they don't need his reward, they don't need his jannah, they don't need anything, his forgiveness or his mercy subhanahu wa ta'ala. But rather, as Imam al-Shawkani goes on to say, rather they are self-sufficient, sufficing themselves with the desires of this world as opposed or in place of the, the rewards of the akhirah. So they are sufficing themselves with the desires of this world in place of the rewards of the akhirah. And this is that other type of person that Allah is now referring to. In verse number 9, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى And this is a person who denies goodness. This is a person who denies goodness. And I think the translations you will find will probably be very similar. right? Rejects goodness, rejects the best reward, rejects the best religion and so on. Because essentially it is speaking about the opposite of the person that was mentioned before in verse number 6. So this is the person now who does the opposite. And that's why Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says in the tafsir of this verse, and the and the four opinions that we mentioned in verse number 6 apply here. The opposite applies here. So if you said, for example, in verse number 6, that it's referring to the person who attests to the truthfulness of Allah's promise that if you spend, you get more, then verse number 9 refers to the one who rejects that promise that actually you don't get more, that you get less. Right? If you said in verse number 6 that it's referring to the one who attests to the truthfulness of Allah's promise, then here it's the one who rejects Allah's promise. If verse number 6 was the one who attests to Allah's uh, tawheed, here it's the one who rejects Allah's tawheed. If verse number 6 was you attest to Allah's reward of Jannah, then here it's the one who 
rejects the reward of Jannah, right? So whatever it was there, you choose here. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, and therefore we choose here the position that we chose there, which is basically that he's saying that here is the one who denies that promise of Allah Azza wa Jal of you or, or, or receiving more in place of the wealth that you spent. Rather, you reject it. And Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqeet Ta'ala will choose the other one, that these are people who deny the reward of Allah Azza wa Jal of Jannah, meaning they don't believe in the Akhirah, right? And this is an example of the believers and the disbelievers. Allah Azza wa Jal has honed in on certain uh, attributes, but obviously it's the example of those who believe in Allah Azza wa Jal and His promise of the Akhirah, and those who don't believe in Allah Azza wa Jal and the last day. So the one who doesn't believe in Allah and the last day doesn't have any anything to look forward to in terms of, of reward, doesn't think they have anything to fear in terms of punishment. So for them, it is all that they have in this world. They're trying to build their money and their wealth and so on because their, their, their vision, if you like, or their sight is restricted to what they can see before them. And their time, as they know, is limited. So they try to gather what they can gather and they try to forget everything else. Whereas when you look at the believer, the believer knows that this world is temporary, that it's finite, that it's limited, and that the actual life for the believer is the life of the Akhirah. That's the real life, that's the real existence. So for them, even if they miss something here, even if they don't have everything that they could, you know, that they want, that they dream of, that they would love to have all of the comforts and delights that they would like to have all of the ease that they see maybe other people around them having, even if they don't have that, it doesn't bog them down so much. Yes, it may think, make things more difficult. Yes, they may look and say, you know, if I had that, you know, inshallah, I could do, it, do some good with it or I could, it would make my time easier. They still make dua for things and so on. But it doesn't make them someone who thinks that this way, life has become wasted for them. Because a person who thinks that this life is all that there is, if they don't get what they consider to be their measures of success of a job and wealth and a house and so on, for them it is failure or a type of failure because this is all that they have and these are the measures of success that they have laid for themselves, laid out for themselves in their life. Whereas the person who thinks actually this life doesn't mean anything to Allah Azza wa Jal, it's worthless. And the only thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves from this world are the good deeds that people have and the faith and the iman that Allah Azza wa Jal is pleased with. That's all that you take from this dunya. Everything else is insufficient to Allah Azza wa Jal. Doesn't mean anything, it's worthless. That person isn't so fussed about something which doesn't have any worth, right? And that's why the hadith that speak about the dunya as we know, often describe it as being equal to the wing of a mosquito, right? Or being something which is so worthless and insignificant that it's nothing, nothing that you would, you know, you would bat an eyelid over, that you would look twice for. A person who, who's told that they're going to get a wing of a mosquito doesn't place any value to it. It's something which is so worthless that it's not something that they place any or attach any value to. So if someone says to them, this is the wing of a mosquito, they forget that wing, they overlook that wing, that wing doesn't come to them, whatever it may be, they, they don't get that wing of a mosquito, they haven't lost anything, they're not going to lose any sleep over that, they're not going, you know, it's not going to make their day a difficult day or a bad day or, or a depressing day, for them it doesn't mean anything. And this is the mindset that the Sharia wants us to have in terms of the dunya. And that's why you find the people, the scholars of the past who, who spent their life just seeking knowledge and worshipping Allah Azza wa Jalla and whatever, not caring about the dunya. Even sometimes when it came to them on a silver platter, when people came and offered them you know, thousands of, of gold coins and gave, offered them wealth and offered them positions and offered them status and what, they didn't care for it because they knew that it would take them away and distract them from 
what is uh, what is more pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so you have to balance between the two. If And obviously we need to work and we need to be engaged in the dunya and so on. But never should it be to that level where it distracts you and diverts you away from Allah Azza wa When it reaches that level, that's what it's doing, then that's something where you now you have to reassess your situation. Because it's taking away from that which Allah Azza wa is more pleased with and loves more. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الحسن, and These are people who don't believe in that last life. Right? They don't have anything that they want to invest for the Akhirah because they don't believe Aslan in the Akhirah. They don't have any faith in the last day or in the hereafter, as opposed to the believer who does. And they work for it day and night. And they know that every day may be their last. And so they do what they do and they try what they try in order to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this person who is miserly, who thinks that they have no need of Allah azza wa who has denied and rejected Al-Husna, the promises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they don't believe in Jannah, they don't believe in the Akhirah, they don't believe in Allah Azza wa Jalla, the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does Allah Azza wa Jalla say for them in verse number 10, juxtaposing them once again to that person in a couple of verses back? We shall smooth his way towards hardship. We shall smooth his way towards hardship. Imam Al Qurtubi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, says that a person may ask and he mentions the statement of al farra Rahimahullah was one of the scholars of the Arabic language, one of the early scholars of the Arabic language. He says, why does Allah Azza wa Jal use the verb here of taysir? Fasanu yassiruhu lil yusra, in the previous verse, made sense. We will make easy for them the path of goodness, right? Because that's what you normally think, right? You think of goodness, of the way that is facilitated, that it will be a path of ease. But when Allah Azza wa Jal here is describing the path of hardship, of difficulty, of torment, of, of punishment, Allah Azza wa Jal uses the same verb. So he asks the question, why? Right? Why? And he gives the response and he says, because for each one of them, Allah Azza wa Jal has made easy for them the path that they have chosen. If that's the path that you're going to choose, for that person it will be easy for them. And that's why that person finds it easier to sin finds it easier to disobey Allah, finds it easier to do everything that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So yes, the word that you will normally choose is that they will have you know, a difficult path of, of hardship. But actually Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying for that person, that's the path that they've chosen. So for them, their heart is inclined that way and therefore it is something which they find easy. And similar to this, he says in the Quran, is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when describing uh, punishment in the Quran, right? He often says, فَبَشِّرْهُمْ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ And the word Bashara means to give good tidings. You normally use the word Bashara for good tidings. So you say, you know, يَا بُشْرَى هَذَا غُلَامٍ As Allah Azza wa Jalla says in the Quran, they said, glad tidings, we found a boy in the story of Yusuf alayhi Bushra is normally used for good tidings. But Allah Azza wa Jalla uses the same word as in terms of punishment, فَبَشِّرْهُمْ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ And it is a similar reason there as well. Because these people, this is the path that they chose. And they expected that it would bring them a good ending. So Allah Azza wa uses the verb of the Quran in, in the Arabic language of, of good tidings as a, a means of humiliating them further. That these are the glad tidings that they wanted, well give them the glad tidings that they deserve. But it is not the tidings that they expected. And so Imam Al-Qurtubi Ta'ala says it is very similar here. As well, that Allah Azza wa says, "Fasanu yassiruhu lil usra." We will make easy for them, or smooth for them, the path that they chose, which is the path of evil. 
And that's why it is the path that you choose. Whatever path you choose, that is the path that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up for you. And that is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned the hadith that is the hadith al-Qudsi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّمَا هِيَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ أُحْسِيهَا لَكُمْ ثُمَّ أُوَفِّيكُمْ إِيَّاهَا Allah Azza wa Jalla will say to the children of Adam, these are your deeds. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, all I did was record them and now I will reward you for them. فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلْيَحْمَدِ اللَّهِ So if you find God, then praise and thank Allah Azza wa Jalla. وَمَنْ وَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ فَلَا يُلُومَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسَهِ And if you find other than that, then don't blame anyone except yourself. And so this is very similar here in terms of the way that Allah Azza wa Jalla has used this. And this is from the eloquence of the Qur'an and the beauty of the Qur'an. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that when you, if you want to choose the path of guidance, Allah will make it easy for you. Doesn't Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وَالَّذِينَ اهْتَدَوْا زَادَهُمْ هُدَى وَآتَاهُمْ تَقْوَاهُمْ Those who seek guidance, Allah says, we will increase them in guidance. If you choose and you're sincere in choosing a path that brings you closer to Allah, Allah will always open up that path of goodness for you. One way or another, Allah opens it for you and Allah makes it easy for you. But if that's not the path that you want and you want a different path, then you will find that that is the path that is open for you as well. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla doesn't force either way. But the path that you choose is the path that you will have. And Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, says something very similar, that we will open for them the path of evil. And he says that the meaning or, or the, uh, the meaning, of, these, the meaning of, of, of this verse is found in many other places in the Qur'an. And that is that the person who wishes to do evil, Allah says that we will give open for them the path of that evilness, meaning that it's open for them to take. Allah doesn't force them and Allah doesn't like it and Allah doesn't want it. But if that's the path that they choose, it's open for them. And they will be allowed to take that path if that is what they choose because that is the choice that they have made instead of taking the path that is that is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And our the teacher of our teacher, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, said very th- something very similar. He said that the one who does good, for them the path of more goodness is open. And the one who does evil will find that the path of evil is open for them. Meaning that the one who does good will often find that it is easier to follow one good deed with another good deed. And that is the way that the sharia is built. You make wudu, you pray. After the prayer, you pray, you make adhkar, you pray your nawafil. So it's always one good deed after another good deed. You're reading the Quran, you're making dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. It is built in that way that you're constantly moving from one good deed to another good deed. And one good deed brings another good deed and facilitates it and makes it easier for you and smooths that path towards you. But a person who's sinning finds it easier to go down that road because the path of turning away and coming back to Allah and making tawbah is harder. For a person to have that sincere regret and remorse to turn back to Allah Azza wa Jal to make that sincere intention that they want to leave off that sin, not come back to it again, to make tawbah to Allah Azza wa Jal despite the whisperings of shaitan and despite the temptations that shaitan brings to them, that is more difficult. And so that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises those people in the Qur'an who make tawbah to Allah Azza wa Jal. The, the, the reward of tawbah as we know in the Qur'an and the sunnah is amazing because of the difficulty of that path except for the one that Allah Azza wa Jal blesses. And so this is what Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin Ta'ala says that when a person does good, it is easy for them to do good. If they choose the path of evil, they will find that they are pushed towards more evil, meaning that they find it easier and the temptations of doing more evil are made, uh, are open for them and made more enticing towards them. And I think with that, inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude today's uh, tafsir class uh, because next week, inshallah ta'ala, then we begin with 
verse number 11. So if there's any questions, anyone has any comments or questions that they'd like to ask, inshallah, we'll take a couple of questions. Uh, otherwise, we can conclude for today. Any questions? Okay, so if there's no questions, inshallah ta'ala, then I think we can conclude for today. Jazakumullah uh, khair for attending. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.